Hi, welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Enjoy the message. Hello, everyone. My name is Clint Schwartz. I'm the lead pastor here. How's it going? Is it going all right? Good. Worship's got me a little wound up, I'll just tell you. Message has me a little wound up today, just so you all know. Hey, did, did Matt say we're going to do a daddy and me? Did you say it, Matt? Okay, we're going to do a daddy and me. I just don't want to leave out those dads. Can I get an amen? And grandpas and weird uncles, all those guys. They get to hang out with some kids too, right? We're going to do one of those. Later this year, don't be telling them that you're a weird uncle. I heard that. Somebody's pointing them out. All right. <clears throat> hey, thank you for praying for our Costa Rica mission team. We have a few of our team members here. Yeah. Anyone else from our team here? Two? I got two here. But yeah, they just got back at like five o'clock this morning. And uh, the good news is they all made it back. They had to test negative for COVID before getting on the plane, and everybody tested negative. And had a great time, and we brought them all back. So I'm excited about that. Thanks for praying. Also, I wanted to let you know, next weekend is Mother's Day. Some of you are like, whoa, I'm glad I, I heard that. That's coming. Yeah, I saw some eyebrows from some guys going, whoa, I'm glad I know about that. So next weekend is Mother's Day. And uh, on Mother's Day, we make it <clears throat> a celebration of all women. So uh, we're going to be doing... Uh, some giveaways. We'll have some special snacks and drinks for women. Um, and then we're doing a photo booth. So you can get a, a photo booth with your mom, your grandma, whatever, uh, best friend. We're just going to do a photo booth. So I encourage you, come next weekend and bring uh, the ladies in your life. Just bring them. It's going to be uh, an exciting time. So that's next weekend. Now, um, to introduce today's message, I'm going to share about the time that I proposed to Rose. Now, some of you have heard this story before, so just bear with me. So this is back in 2005, and I decided since my fiance's name, uh, soon-to-be wife's name, was Rose, that I would take her to the Rose Bowl, right? I'm just sentimental like that. Uh, it had nothing to do with the fact that Michigan was playing Texas in the Rose Bowl <laughs> in 2005. I took her to the Rose Bowl Parade, all right? That was, I did that too, and it was just a really wonderful time, actually, after the game. Um, in the fourth quarter, Michigan was winning. Texas was driving down to kick the winning field goal, but I left. We left when we could still see Michigan winning in the Rose Bowl. It was an exciting time. Uh, we went to the Santa Cruz boardwalk, and uh, below the Ferris wheel, down on the, the beach, I proposed to her, and she miraculously said yes. That was an exciting time. But I am a Michigan fan, so it was nice to tie all of that together, right? Um, in fact, there was a player on the Michigan team. His name is Braylon Edwards. He's a receiver, and during that game, he had 10 receptions for 109 yards and three touchdowns. And with those touchdowns, he set the career record in the Big Ten and for Michigan for the most touchdowns. Um, he was then voted as first-team All-American receiver. So I'm a fan of Braylon Edwards. What was really fun was after the game, when I got back um, home, my dad said to me, he goes, hey, 
I know the guy who makes the jerseys for the University of Michigan. Would you like a Braylon Edwards jersey? Oh, yeah. I'll, I don't care how much it costs. I'll, I'll get one. So let me show you. Yes. All right. You guys see the back? I know for some of you Notre Dame fans, you would look awkward for you to leave right now. So you just have to stay and endure another 25 minutes. Sit back down, Doug. Come on, sit back down. Come join me. Anyway, it, I think we have a picture of uh, Braylon Edwards in the Rose Bowl. You see, we got the same Rose Bowl. Do you guys see the resemblance? Yes. I think it is. <laughs> yeah. Now, the thing is, the thing is that Braylon and I actually have a few things in common. We do. We both love Michigan, right? We both flew in a plane to California late in 2004, right? We were at this game on January 1st, 2005, rooting for the same team, right? And we both have the same jersey, you know? Even says, like, the date on it and stuff. All right. But even though we have those things in common, there's a few things that are different between me and Braylon. First of all, uh, he's six foot three, 211 pounds, and that guy's ripped. I mean... I debated putting up a picture of him with his shirt off and then putting one of me beside him. <laughs> there's a difference in those 200 pounds. I mean, there's a, a pretty big difference. In high school, Braylon actually high jumped six foot eight inches. So he's six foot three and he went six foot eight in high school. I did five foot three. So, I mean, <laughs> big difference, big difference there. Um, he ran the 100-meter dash in 10.8 seconds. I think I was 25 seconds or something. I don't know. I was a little slower. Um, and in the NFL combine, I thought this was pretty cool, he bench-pressed 225 pounds uh, 22 times straight. I do like 50 pounds now, you know. It's just big, big difference. See, the thing is, there is a big difference between being a fan like myself and a player like Braylon, right? I mean, there's a big difference between those who sit in the stands and those who get on the field. In the book, uh, Not a Fan by Kyle Eidelman, which um, we have that book out at the Welcome Center. You can buy it afterwards. Kyle calls a fan an enthusiastic admirer. An enthusiastic admirer. Let me read his definition. He says, it's the guy who goes to the football game with no shirt and a painted chest. He sits in the stands and cheers for his team. He's got a signed jersey hanging on his wall at home and multiple, by the way, I took this off the wall. I just, it was on the wall. Anyway, so he's got, <laughs> and multiple bumper stickers on the back of his car, but he's never in the game. He never breaks a sweat or takes a hard hit in the open field. He knows all about the players and can rattle off their latest stats, but he doesn't know the players. He yells and cheers, but nothing is really required of him. There is no sacrifice he has to make. And the truth is, as excited as he seems, 
if the team he's cheering for starts to let him down and has a few off seasons, his passion will wane pretty quickly. After several losing seasons, you can expect him to jump off the fan wagon and begin cheering for some other team. He is an enthusiastic admirer. That's a pretty good definition of a fan, right, in today's sports. Um, now, when it comes to professional sports or college sports, not everyone can be a player. You have to have certain skills and talents to do that. But that's not the case in the kingdom of God. Every one of us has what it takes to be a player in the kingdom of God. Now, in fact, Jesus calls us all to get into the game. He doesn't want us to be fans in the stands. He, want us, he wants us to be players on the field. Now, the problem, I believe, in the church, at least in America today, is that we have a lot more fans of Jesus than we do players. Kyle Eidelman says it this way, the biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Christ. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. So today we're actually starting a new message series titled, Not a Fan. And my hope is that we, as Christians, choose to be followers of Jesus instead of fans. Of Jesus, And we're going to talk about kind of those differences of what it looks like to be a fan of Christ versus being a follower of Christ. And we're going to use sports um, as the example along the way. So just for fun, I want to encourage you, go ahead and break out your 1950s Lions jersey or whatever. You, some of you, I think you have a Notre Dame jersey or two. Uh, but during the next uh, four weeks, if you guys want to wear your favorite sports uniforms just for fun, you guys can do that. Um, and I just side note, I won't be wearing Michigan every week. I mean, for some of you, you had decided to check out for the whole series. No, I won't be wearing Michigan again, so you don't have to worry about that. Um, but today's topic, and we're going to hit different topics and how they look differently between fans and players, is community. Okay, we're going to talk about community. And community looks incredibly different between being a fan and being a player. Now, I am a fan of Michigan. I've been to the big house. I've been to the games. But this is what it looks like to be a fan of one of those games. You show up early. Now, if you're really dedicated, you might actually, you know, go tailgate ahead of time. But you show up, you find your seat, and then you go and purchase your favorite beverage, right? I mean, that's, that's what happens in these games. And then you sit down, and you may look around and see somebody you've, you've seen before, but most likely, out of those 100,000 people in the stadium, you're not going to recognize anyone that you've seen before. Now, you'll sing a few fight songs along the way, probably, you know, and when a touchdown, your team's doing well, you give someone a high five, shake their hand, that kind of thing. But then after the game, what do you do? Everybody leaves. Everybody walks out to their, their separate cars and they go their separate ways, not to see each other again until they come together the next Saturday. Right? I mean, that's really what it means to be a fan in college sports. That's the level of community that they have. Now, let's talk about a player. You know, Braylon Edwards. 
he was with his teammates every day the week before the game, all day long, working on plays, working out together, eating together. Some of them are rooming together, studying together. Not only was it the previous week, but they had spent time together the previous month. Maybe it's been years that they've been playing together on the same team. They know each other really, really well. And when it comes to going to the game, they show up together in the team bus. And they meet together. They warm up together. They play on the field together, cheering each other on. And after the game, win or lose, they sit together and they, they talk about the game. And they encourage one another. And then they get back on the same team bus and drive away. There's a level of community that's established as a player that's completely different than a fan. Now, let me talk about church. What's church look like? What does the average, <clears throat> typical churchgoer look like? More like a player or a fan? On most Sundays, we drive up here in separate cars. Some of us get here just in time for the opening song. Maybe we can grab our favorite beverage of coffee before we get in, if we're not too late. And then we sing some, some fight songs, maybe shake a hand, sit down, watch the game, watch the show. And then afterwards, we get up, we leave, we get in our cars and drive away, our separate cars, to see each other once again, maybe next Sunday. What does the church in America look like compared to fans and players? We look more like fans, don't we? We act more like fans. That's not the model that Jesus wants for us. So today, we're actually going to be looking at the early church. Because the early church was, is our model of what the church should look like. And in Acts chapter 2, you guys can turn there if you would like, there's a description of the first church, which, again, the word church in the Greek is ecclesia, which just means an assembly of people. That's what church is. It's not a building. It's not a program. It's not a website. The church is the assembly of people. And this church had its first church service, and 3,000 people joined the church that day. So they now have a large assembly of people. Now let's watch and read what the church looked like in those first weeks. I'm going to read uh, verses 42 through 47, chapter 2 of Acts. So the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, 
praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this early church, they looked like players. They met together every day. They ate together every day. They talked about the plan every day. They studied the Bible together. They prayed together and supported each other every day. That's what it means to be the church. That's what it means to be a player. And so what I want to do today is I want to give us some benefits of that sacrifice. Because really, meeting together more than once a week is sacrificial, isn't it? Not many people do it in the church in America today. But there are huge benefits to getting together more than an hour on Sunday. And so I'm going to walk through this scripture. We're going to look at some of the, the benefits of meeting together more often than we do today. Um, so today's message, by the way, is titled, There's No I in Team. Because the early church looked like a team. That's what they did, a team of players. So I'm going to give us some reasons why we should invest in this type of community, but first let me pray. Father, I pray that you would open up our hearts to receive from you. Help me to communicate your message today, Lord. Get me out of the way, Lord, and let your words prevail. And Satan, we just come against you in the name of Jesus. We know that you hate the church. You hate the church, but you can't stop the church. As we sang today, the church has been around for thousands of years, and it will continue. And Lord, I, I just pray today that we would be a healthy version of the church, Lord. And that as a result of today's message, more of us would step into the game and out of the stands. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, some fill-ins for you, some benefits. I have four of them. First of all, benefits of being in church community. Number one, prayers are answered. Prayers are answered. Verses 42 and 43 say, say, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So they got to see God move. They got to see miracles. They were in awe by what they were seeing. Those were a result of, of prayer. There is power when we gather together and pray together. I don't know why. I can't explain it, but it's all over scripture. When we gather together and pray together, things happen. Matthew chapter 18 says this. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Jesus is saying, when you come together and you agree upon things together and you pray together, not only will I be there, but I will answer those prayers. There is power in us praying. So is it any wonder why the devil would want to keep us apart and keep us separate and keep us isolated? He doesn't want to lose any more than he's already lost. But when we gather together and pray together, the enemy is defeated. And he hates that. He hates that. It's hard in our community today, in our culture today, 
to gather together more than an hour and a half on Sunday, isn't it? I mean, we're busy. And if we're not busy, we're tired. And if we're not tired, we're working the second job. There's something always going on that's trying to keep us from being together. Maybe the enemy had something to do with the design of our culture today. What do you think? One of my um, favorite parts of being in a home group, and a home group is a group of 10 or 12 of us who get together every other week for a couple of hours and just meet together, pray together, eat together, talk about Jesus together. Um, but one of my, I've been in these, these home groups for most of my adult life. And, and one of my favorite parts of being in a home group is that we usually take like a list. We say, is there anything we can pray for for one another? And we, we write them out, and then we pray for them together, and we pray for them the next week. And I have seen God answer a lot of prayers throughout my walk with Jesus, but not any place else more than in a home group. When, when we pray that someone needs a job, we pray, and, and it happens. They get a job. You know, we pray for peace in a family, and you know what happens? It, it happens. They, they find peace. There is power when we come together and pray together. And even beyond that, Jesus is there. Why wouldn't we want to get together and say, hey, Tyler, let's get together and pray because Jesus is going to join us. You know, I mean, how much, why wouldn't we want to do that if we could have Jesus with us? Recently, we had um, three ladies in our church family who all had to have surgery and they all had it about 10 days apart. Um, their home groups would gather together and, and pray for them. And they all had a cancer possibility. And so we prayed as a church. We prayed in our prayer room. We prayed in home groups. We anointed them with prayer. We, you know, we prayed in groups for them. And all three came back with a positive surgery and a negative diagnosis of cancer. Yeah. Yeah, praise God. Oh, but pastor, that's just a coincidence. No, it ain't. There's power in prayer. Now, that doesn't mean that every time we pray, cancer disappears. But I can tell you it disappears more often than when we don't pray. And when we pray together, there is power, and that is done in the context of community. In the context of community. That's, that's a huge benefit. I could just stop there and we'd just be done. But there's more. There's more from this early church. So number two, when we are in need, we get help. That's a benefit of being in community. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They knew each other's needs and they met them. That's a, that's a beautiful description of what the church is supposed to look like but that can only be done in the context of community because I don't know about you if I don't know you and I have a need if my if my billfold is on empty and so is my car I'm probably not going to tell you about it because it's embarrassing right but if I'm in relationship with you and I'm like man I don't know how I'm going to get home I will share it in the context of community. And the cool thing is if you are a friend of mine, you know my situation, you know me, you're more likely to help me 
in that time of need as well. Now, we, we talk about helping strangers, but it's, it's hard to do that, right? Because we don't know their story. We don't know, is this a scam? Do they really need something or not? I don't really know because I don't know you. But when we have community together, not only does it break down the walls where I'm willing to share my need, you're more willing to help meet that need. And that's a beautiful description of what the church looks like. I, I shared about the three ladies who had surgery. Um, their home group started meal trains to their houses. You know what a meal train is? It's a, it's a train that comes to your house. No, it's, it's, a, it's this thing online. People show up. They sign up to bring a meal to the house. And now the ladies, you know, I don't even, they were recovering from surgery, so I don't even know if they wanted food. But their family sure did. And so it was a huge blessing. And that was done in the context of community to help one another out. And I can guarantee you the next time there's a meal train, for one of their friends, they will sign up because in the same way they were helped, they turn around and help others. It's a beautiful description of what the church is supposed to look like, but that's done when we know each other, only when we know each other. Here's a, it's a challenging scripture. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. It says, two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Just think about all the people in our community, Elkhart, Goshen, Elkhart County, who are going in for surgery and coming out that are not part of a church family, not part of a home group, and they just have to make do. They don't have anyone to help them up in their time of need. But we don't have to be like that. We have each other. When we establish and step into community, we have friends and family members who will help us in our time of need. In our time of need. That's a huge benefit. Here's the third one. Number three, there is joy. That's a benefit of being in church community. Uh, verses 46, and I've, I've really, I've read this before, but I never uh, quite understood it the way I do today. It says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They got together, they ate together, and there was joy in the conversation. Now, I don't think it's just because there was food. I do love food, and that usually brings joy to me, especially when we invite someone to our house and Rose breaks out the china and just, like, does the big meal. Whew, there is joy in my house that day. Or when you invite us over, it's the same thing, man. It's like, okay, we're going to have this big meal together. We're going to share together, and there's a lot of joy. But it's not just the food. It's the fellowship. It's us being together. Let me give you an example. David Merle, a good friend of mine, he's on our preaching team here. Um, his wife, Kim, was, was singing today. Um, good friend of mine. He's a really funny guy. I don't know if you know this about David, but he's actually does, he's a stand-up comedian as well as a preacher. And uh, he'll go to these comedy shows and, and, and gets hired out to do these things. Anyway, I was on Thursday night uh, was working here late, getting ready to leave, and 
my wife Rose was teaching a class, and so I was just going to go home. I was just going to go home, have a little me time, right, a little bit of time to myself, do what I wanted to do, and then um, I saw David sitting out there because Kim was on the worship team practicing, and he had come with his wife and was just going to wait out there for and I And I had that moment where I'm like, do I go home, just sneak by David and just wave and walk out? Or do, I, or do I engage and just go chat with David? So I chose to go sit and talk to David. And uh, he's just a funny guy. And so I'm laughing for the next hour and a half. We're just having a great conversation. I think Rose's class ends. I think she went home before I did. You know, I'm just hanging out. And then I got home and I will tell you, I had joy in my heart because I hung out with my friend for the last hour and a half. Now, compare that to what I was going to do. I was going to go home, eat some leftovers, watch a show, get caught up on a show, or read a book, and maybe chuckle at a comedy, but I, I wasn't going to have joy. I was just going to entertain myself for a little bit. And there was really no positive result on the other side of it other than time went by. Guys, when we engage in community, we have an opportunity to bring joy to one another's life. That's where it's found. It's found in Jesus and his kids. That's where joy is found. But it's only in the context of community. I wrote here, there is so much more joy in relationships than there is in Netflix. <laughs> There's heartache, too. I will just tell you that. There's heartache, but it's better. In the end, it's better. And we're going to talk about that during our prayer time. It, it comes both ways, but it's still better. It's still better. Here's the last benefit. It's uh, number four, the kingdom of God grows. And this is really important. So that the church was praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. So you can imagine that this church is, is meeting together they're, they're having joy. They're eating together. They're, they're seeing miracles happen. And the people around them see this, and they have favor towards them. They're not condemning them or making fun of them. They're like, this is really cool. Do you guys see what's happening? This new thing that's happening, the, the church. And, and then what they did was they were attracted to it. And they started coming and joining, and the church grew. It says daily, the number, there were number that were added every day to the church. It's because they had something that the world didn't have. Dr. Fauci, I think I'm saying that right, announced this last couple of weeks that the pandemic is over. But let me just submit to you that the, the pandemic of isolation is just beginning. During this last couple of years, we have learned to isolate ourselves. And, and, and guys, we have a whole town, a whole school system, a whole state, a whole world that is staying alone as much as possible. 
And they're believing that they can find joy and happiness by themselves. And it's just not working. It's not working. We have the highest number of overdoses in America uh, of all time that we've ever had. 100,000 people are dying because of overdoses every year in America. And why are they ODing? I, I, I believe it's because they're trying to numb the pain inside of them. They have hurt, they have loneliness, they have hopelessness, and so they're doing taking these medications, these drugs, to self-medicate it, to deal with the pain inside them that could be relieved if they had some friends, some people who checked in on them, some people who cared for them. For every person who dies of an overdose, how many survived the overdose, right? If 100,000 died, how many hundreds of thousands were in the same case, their heart just started again. People are dying from loneliness. Dying from it. And so when we become the church, and we make friends, and we have things to do after work or after school, and, and we're joyful about it, and when we go through hard times, and, and they see people showing up to help, to mow the lawn, to rake the yard, this becomes very attractional, doesn't it? In a world of isolation, in a world where people are by themselves and they're hurting and they're depressed and they see joy, genuine joy coming from the church, they're going to want to have a part of it. This past, uh, actually it was last night, Rose and I went to Chili's, uh, went out to eat and it, it just took forever for us to get our meal and I looked around, there wasn't a lot of people in the restaurant, and there weren't a lot of people, um, I mean, it just, there, it seemed like they had all the cooks and, and the servers were doing their part, because I know we've been short-staffed with servers too, but I couldn't understand why it took so long for us to get our meal. And where I was sitting, I, I couldn't see behind me, but Rose could, and she said, that's the takeout door, she said there was a steady stream of people the entire night just picking up meal after meal after meal. And so the chefs, the cooks were cooking for a full restaurant. They just weren't all there, right? We've learned to isolate. We've become afraid of each other and of the world. And we have learned that we can have a good time at home doing our own thing. But it's killing the church and it's killing the world and i am fearful for that next generation that this is being modeled to them that this is normal and that this is the way that we're going to grow up alone and isolated and i will tell you the enemy wants it no other way separate us keep us apart from each other don't let us combine to help each other. Don't let us combine to bring joy. Don't let us combine to pray together. Keep us hidden. But I say, no, we ain't going to do that. We're going to fight against that. Those tendencies that we have to be all about me, right? To stay home by myself doing what I want. 
because it takes energy and effort to invest into other people. But the good news is when we're investing in them, they're investing in us, and there is so much power in that. So here's your last fill-in. It's kind of goofy, but it says, let's flip the M and turn me time into we time. Just turn that M upside down, guys. Let's be self-sacrificing. Start engaging in community. Start loving on one another. Asking for help. Now I have uh, just seven quick ways <clears throat> that we can engage in more community here at Lighthouse. I mean, this is not... Our programs are not the end all on how you do community. I mean, community is done family to family, person to person, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, but we do have some ways that you can get established in community here. First of all is to attend in person every week. Um, for those who are joining online, I'm glad that you're joining us today. But I will tell you, community is not established online. No matter what our culture tells us, it, it is not. Not true, genuine community. It is established when we meet together in person in person. And I also put in there um, every week. We've, we've established during the COVID years that attending church every other week or once a month is acceptable. And let me just say to you, try to come every week. Now, I know if you have a work commitment that keeps you from coming, watch online. That's why we have it. We have it so that those who are out of town, are working, are sick, I mean, yes, that's why we have our messages. You can still stay engaged in that. And there are other ways that you can establish community. But don't stay home just because you've had a long week. Don't stay home because you have an engagement in the afternoon. We have two services in the morning. You can come. We had several team members from Costa Rica who came to one of our services today after flying all night, working all week, and they still one of the engagement of community. So, guys, let's come every week in person. Number two, stay or come early and stay late. We don't charge you extra if you come early. I just want to let you know that. It's the same, same admission cost. But no, and we also don't kick you out right afterwards. We've established our services. I think we have 45 minutes between services. And, uh, and you guys can just hang out afterwards. I'll go home and take a nap. Just lock up when you leave. It's all right. <laughs> but we have plenty of opportunity for you guys to engage with one another beforehand, afterwards. And if you don't know anyone, I guarantee you, if you stand in the atrium like this long enough, somebody will come and talk to you, right? <laughs> Tony, you wouldn't let them stand there all day, right? You would eventually go and say, I, I got to talk to that person. They look really alone. So that's right. No, it's a great way to get to know one another. Obviously, that's why we do name tags is to make it a little bit easier too. But come early, stay late. Um, we talked about a home group, join a group. That's number three. We have a newcomers group. So if you're not in a home group and you want to engage in one that's starting in August, we have a four-week-long newcomers group. That, that would be a great place to start. Number four is to serve on a team. Community is established when we serve together. So that's another way. If you want community, is just grab, jump on a team. Number five is sign up for events. We have all kinds of events. We have a mommy and me. We're going to do a daddy and me. We have 
uh, a women's night out uh, doing ministry. We're doing a men's retreat here, I think in June. Um, there's continual things. I will tell you, we had uh, spring cleanup. All right. It sounds awful, doesn't it? Like you go and you rake in, in the snow is what we actually did. Um, incredible community is established every year when we do our spring cleanup and our fall cleanup. I don't know why. It's just this weird thing where we all eat donuts together and work together, you know, but a community is established when you just come to some of these extra events. And we try to do those um, every month. You just go to our website, look at events, and there's always something coming up, always something coming up. So I would encourage you, sign up for our events if you want community. Uh, number six, visit the prayer room every Tuesday night from 6 till 8 p.m., our, our auditorium is open for prayer. From 6 to 7, we do corporate prayer where we pray together for everything that's happening here at the church. Um, and then from 7 to 8, that's when we kind of do more individual prayer. We have someone leading worship. And when you just sit and you can pray by yourself, you can pray with an, another person, but it's just kind of that prayer room setting. Um, but that's every Tuesday night. So if you're looking at, like, I don't know what to do on Tuesday night, and you're, you're alone, come hang out with us. It's a great, great place to be. And then the last thing is just this idea of inviting someone to lunch, especially second service, right? I mean, you're all hungry. I can see it in your eyes right now. You're going to go get something to eat. Um, just invite someone to come along. And if you go to Chili's, you're going to have like an hour and a half to talk, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's great community building versus just sitting there staring at your kids. You know, this is like bring someone with you. Bring someone with you. All right. I'm going to invite Rose to come up here. She's going to lead us in a time of prayer. Well, that's it for today's message. We hope we helped you know God more intimately. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to find out more about us at lighthouseofinner.church. Thank you for being part of our family, and we will see you next time.